Hello, and welcome to another episode of Saying the Tone, or Now Retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today I'll be discussing Season 5, Episode 5, which is titled Masquerade. Ooh, fancy. The episode aired on October 29th, 1998. Lauren, what was going on that week 23 years ago? Uh, I'll get to it in a minute, but first I have to say, this title makes me think about Phantom of the Opera. Anybody else? Nope. Nope, just me? All right. Yep, yep just you. <laughs> That's fine. Uh, headlines. The space shuttle Discovery successfully launches with 77-year-old astronaut John Glenn aboard, officially making him the oldest person ever to go into space. I remember this being a big deal when I was in grade school at this yeah. time. This was one of those, like, they roll the TV into the classroom and you watch kind of things. Which I'm actually surprised after the Challenger explosion. I was going to say, yeah, I'm that. really surprised they tempted fate with that. Just, like, what, not even... 15 years later. Yep. Uh, Britney Spears releases her debut single, Baby One More Time. The New York Yankees complete a four-game sweep of the San Diego Padres to win their second World Series title in three years. This one's for Lizzie. Pleasantville, starring Tobey Maguire, Reese Witherspoon, and ER alum William H. Macy, debuts and by less than $100,000 takes the number one spot at the box office. It was like 8.792 to 8.845 or something like that million dollars. I'm very surprised that that was ever a number one movie. Like, it's a fine movie. I like it just fine. But I just never would think of it as like a movie that was a box office. People, you know, we've obviously in 1998, we've moved past racism. So we're not (laughs) looking for fiction about it. That's right. I've only seen it the one time that we watched it together, and I really enjoyed it. It's such a good movie. It's so ham-fisted in its message, but it's, I mean, obviously, just looking at the cover art, you can totally tell. But still, I I enjoy it. Great performances all around. If you love Jeff Daniels, you're going to love this movie. Yes. And after a brief one-week interruption by, ironically, one week by the Bare Naked Ladies, The First (laughs) Night by Monica takes back the number one spot on the music chart. I know. I was so excited to say for one week, one week by Bare Naked Ladies was the number one song, but this stupid episode had to air two weeks after the last one. Uh, they yeah. really couldn't have planned that, that any better. Like, yep. From a, from a marketing standpoint, that's about as, as much as you could hope for, for the Bare Naked Ladies. Uh, as far as what else was on that evening, at 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with the Kips. At 8.30, Jesse with the episode Boo! He's back. <laughs> I don't know who he is or why we should be afraid of him, but he's back. Maybe it's Jesse. Maybe. Well, Jesse's a woman, so I don't know. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, at 9 p.m., Frazier with the episode First Do No Harm. At 9.30, Veronica's Closet with the episode Veronica's Crushed. This is where a building falls on her? We can only hope so. It would be uh, immensely helpful if Kirstie Alley would get crushed by a building. That would actually be great. <gasps> keeping her off of Twitter and stopping spreading COVID misinformation. That would be wonderful. I was going to ask, is she, is she problematic? I don't know anything. Oh, about problematic right does now. not begin to describe one Miss Kirstie Alley. She is uh, awful. I and, haven't, I haven't heard about her since she played like what the tooth fairy 10, 20 years ago. Yeah. You mean, you mean you don't remember the, the seminal classic for richer or poorer with her and Tim Allen. Oof, there's a match. I can't say heaven. I do. Kirstie Alley and Tim Allen. There's a, match made in republican hell all right uh (laughs) viewers this week we are up just a couple million up still not over the 30 million threshold but we are back up to 29.1 
This week's episode is directed by Steve DeJarnett. Uh, it's not delivery, it's DeJarnett, uh, who is directing Jesus his... <laughs> I'm sorry, Mr. DeJarnett, I did not mean to make light of your name, uh, but he is directing I'm sure his... I'm yell at you. His first I'm sure it's not the of, first time he's heard it. First of two episodes that he would direct, uh, he was also a writer on the movie Strange Brew, as well as the TV series The X-Files. Uh, and this week's episode is written by the tandem of Joe Sachs, doing his fourth out of 35. Previous one of his we talked about was Exodus. And Samantha Howard Corbin, doing her final seventh out of seven episodes. Previous ones of hers from last season we talked about were Shades of Grey and Sharp Relief. And our previously on ER this week is brought to us by one Eric LaSalle. And we open uh, with the sirens blaring in the ambulance bay and Jerry just being one shifty motherfucker. (laughs) Like he's wheeling a chair over to the dumpsters being all sketchy. There's like a trash bag on it and like there's an IV hanging from it. And Jerry, what the fuck? But it's a Halloween episode. So, you know, shifty shit's going to be going on all around. Not just Jerry. Mostly Jerry. But uh, a woman collapsed in the crosswalk and is pregnant and is being brought in by Doris and Doris and company. Uh, this woman is not speaking clearly, potentially mentally ill. It's unclear at this time. Uh, Jerry watches them goes by and then says in the phone, into the phone, the eagle has landed. <laughs> oh, Jerry. Oh, sweet baby Jerry. Uh, and our pregnant lady here, Coco, which I don't think we get her name here. I don't think it'll be in the next scene. But uh, Coco, the pregnant lady here, is played by actress Sheila Kelly, who appeared in the movie One Fine Day with George Clooney, as well as uh, Singles and Matchstick Men. And she's making her first of three appearances. So she's starting a little mini arc here. I did not remember her being a part of an arc. Cool. Yeah, neither do I. Um, but then we go over to Carrie tells Lydia, who was in an adorable maid costume, that the evening staff were not to wear costumes this year as it scares the patients. And she calls it unprofessional, asks Lydia to change and says, by the way, I have festive uh, pumpkin buttons if you feel the need to show the holiday spirit. <laughs> and then um, she says, oh, Randy, I see you got the the memo and dressed appropriately and Randy goes, no, this is my costume. I'm dressed as a total stiff. And Carrie's just like, oh, well, that's fine then. We can make an exception. Yeah. (laughs) Just absolutely floored by Randy's response. Very cute. Um, Then Yosh tells Doug there is a kid needing immediate treatment. And Doug goes and runs into the peds room. And it turns out that it was a ruse. So Carol could make a vampire joke with her fake teeth. Neat. (laughs) <laughs> and then we're in with bangs. Twinkles are still lying dead in a ditch. Yep. Uh, and we go, come back from the intro. Carol needs to. T- uh, Carol tells Doug that he needs to take a joke. Which to be to be fair, I'm with Doug on this one. That is not a. You want to play a joke on someone? Cool. Do not fake an emergency. <laughs> it's been a while, but they do this. Yeah, I know, but, uh, but. Carol says the joke was not on you. It was joke was was ugh. the joke was on you, not on the PZR. But that seems to be one and the same these days. Hey, you know Doug takes his new role very seriously. He's very proud of his little creation, and you know we should all be proud of him too. Amen. So, she's judging him for the memo he sent out about ne- him needing to sign off on all the PEDS patients for all doctors in the ER. Ah. <laughs> uh. Oh, Douglas. Uh, he's going to learn his lesson right quick. Oh, yeah. 
So then we see Mark examining Coco, uh, says that he appreciates that she has a normal uterus and cervix, uh, but does appreciate two liters of urine in her bladder. So they think she's just retaining urine, not actually pregnant. Uh, they call for a psych consult and a urine tox screen once they can get her to pee. So, oh, this is, this is all going to go great. There's no way that this could possibly end badly. No, it won't go dark at all. It's totally no, fine. Yeah. It's, this is fine. Mark definitely doesn't have a checkered history with pregnant women. It's fine. It's Or fine. mentally ill patients. Or, or mentally ill patients. It's great. Perfect combo. <laughs> but we go from there. We see Benton and Lizzie talking about Halloween. Uh, Lizzie dressed in a very cute Bavarian milkmaid costume. I appreciate the specificity with which Laura. It could have just it, it could have just been like a milkmaid costume, but for some reason I thought Bavarian, so I specific, threw it in. Whatever. Specifically Bavarian milkmaid. And I'm gonna uh, have three listeners call me out that that's not right. I just know. It. <laughs> but of course, I went with my truth. Of course, Mister Stick in the Mud Benton is no fun and has a thing against costumes, uh, and she. Uh, Elizabeth is determined to figure out what it was Benton wanted to be as a kid, uh, to which I think he dryly replies, I wanted to be a doctor. I'm a doctor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, and then shithead Dale, and boy, is he a shithead this episode. Uh, he comes in and oh. starts chastising her for certain lab results being delayed. So the Dale-Lizzie partnership continues into this episode. Hey, don't roll me into this. I was about to say. Don't, don't roll me into this. Uh, God damn it, Dale. Um... <laughs> Go back down to the ER, carries on the computer when a gentleman comes in looking for Mark, a very well-dressed gentleman of note, and Jerry needs to get the system's IT people down to look at the computers, because of course they're on the fritz. What? A, why wouldn't they stuff be going wrong, especially on Halloween night? Um, he sneaks the bag of medical supplies in the wheelchair back outside when Lily rolls it in and starts talking about all the stuff in it. He's like, oh, hmm. I'll take care of it. It's fine. Hmm, Jerry, what are you at? You want about, sir? Uh, then Carter and Roxanne come into the lounge, and we learn that he is going to have to chaperone a dorm party later tonight, and as they're making kissy faces, and she says she might stop by, Lucy bails in and totally cockblocks him with some films for a patient. And Carter's like, I'll be right there, and Lucy's like, okay, I'll wait. <laughs> and doesn't go anywhere and they both just look at her like uh excuse us and then she walks out um and carter brought in a fake arm so lucy can practice her ivs which is kind of thoughtful i guess uh, I, i'd say it is it's a good yeah. teacher move yeah. he's you... he's attempting to make good on the miscommunication and yeah it's yeah. it's more of like he's trying to set her i feel like this is him trying his best to set her up for success yep to yeah. avoid another incident where she's in the trauma room and can't do her job. Like when he was doing suture practice on a pig's foot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Other other than the events of the end of this episode, I would say this is actually a pretty pretty solid okay teacher Carter episode. Like he's he is not bad this episode until we get to like the last 10 minutes. Yep. Uh, but then Carrie asks Carter if he can present on a case tomorrow out of nowhere. And she says it's good practice for being chief resident. So, of course, he takes her up on it, takes all the files from her, and is going to prep for this presentation. I'm just, uh, all the, I want to get into a little spoiler talk, just for, like, 30 seconds. But just all of this, her talking about chief resident, mm -hmm. and then thinking forward to season seven, when he actually applies for it. 
Yeah. And she just returns his application, and Carrie just returns his application just outright. And she was like, "Would you? Did you really think you'd make the first cut after his drug? After all the drug problems? Oh my god." Oh, Carter. we have we have so far to go, and not not that long when you're really thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yes and no. I mean, I guess I guess they are gonna slow the timeline down just a tad over the next because it does seem like a really far off thing to think about. Like you know, season seven talking about Chief Resident, and we're already laying the groundwork a little bit for that here. So it's like, I guess the the timeline isn't gonna. We're not going to speed through it as fast as well, we have in the past. I mean, I'm sure that they weren't thinking exactly about yeah, no, for that sure. storyline. Right. But Well, and spoiler, in the book report that Daniel and I are going to do, and that book that was written around season three, like beginning mm-hmm. of, they're talking about how bizarrely long Carter's rotations are. Yes, Carter's rotations so they are already, insanely long. So they already talk about how the time dilation is weird with carter so it only gets weirder another weird thing to note we are closer to that storyline than we are to season one oof bruh yeah bruh what is time when you put it that way um we go from there we see our next patient coming in a drunk guy coming in uh, having had a quart of liquor damn happy halloween my dude uh, Lucy gives him shit, insisting that he's just looking for a place to sleep it off. Uh, our drunk here, Mr. Chatterowski, is played by actor Jimmy F. Skaggs, who appeared in movies like Lethal Weapon and Hollow Man, and unfortunately passed away in 2004. We've just had a bad run of guests this past couple episodes. Yeah, uh, kind of an unfortunate run here the last few, because this one was not one that like, oh, he was elderly. I think he was in his 50s when he passed. So. Yeah. Aww. Also, Lucy already given the drunk, the guy, the, the Mark, the Mark Green special treatment. <laughs> she learns the quick. cynical Mark Green. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Mark, him and the random gentleman are walking around the ER, and we find out that the random, well-dressed gentleman, his name is Doctor Litback, and he's from New York, and he's another chief candidate. Hmm. And Carrie is freaking the fuck out because apparently this gentleman is very well known. But who plays him now? He is played by actor Philip Kaznoff, who appeared in stuff like Strong Medicine, Sinatra, where he played actually Frank Sinatra, uh, and The Post. All right. Cool. Um, We see Doug examining a little boy named Jared, who is covered with hives, and they're giving him Benadryl, and they're going to observe him. We think this was an allergy from them putting on his Halloween makeup, and... He's bummed he's not going to get to go trick-or-treating. And somebody says, oh, there's lots of fun stuff to do around here. To which he responds, fun stuff around here sucks. He's not wrong. That's our cute, precocious child for the episode. The best thing that can ever happen to you in in an ER is you get a room with a TV. Yep. Yeah. And that's not really a thing yet in these. No. Like in a lot of the curtain areas, they don't really have Not in the the curtain areas, in the recovery rooms. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Honestly, in, in any of the rooms you never really get we don't really get tvs at any point no in this yeah not yet series if at all no not at all like in the like the recovery rooms and stuff like that upstairs we do but i know they make plot points of it in house and gray's anatomy but i don't think they do an er ever yeah none that none that's sprinkling to mind but then we go over to coco has been given a catheter or they i believe it's a catheter because she's peed a bunch into a bag they've been draining her bladder and she and Carol holds up this bag full of pee and it's just like oh my god like this is this is as big as your head 
I mean, it's a two-liter. I know. And they say that she's not done yet, either. Um, it's a big old bottle point. of lemonade. But um, Coco is screaming, asking where her baby is at this point. Oof. Again, I'm sure this will be totally fine. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. totally Ca- fine. But uh, Carrie interrupts Mark and Dr. Litvak to be nosy on the interview. Mm-hmm. You know, just normal Carrie things. You know, whenever, whenever she's anxious about something. Um, that turns out the chief vote is tonight, but Carrie thought it was not until next week. Why the Why the rush? Huh? Huh? It was, I believe, it was because he had to get a flight back that night, and mm-hmm. they wanted to get the vote formality out of the way before he left. And they wanted him to get yeah. an answer. Yeah. yeah. And also, we've all been Carrie a little bit. We've all done shit like this. Not to this level, but, and I'm going to say this, you're both going to go, no, Lauren, that's not a normal response. And once again, I'm <laughs> going to prove I am Carrie. But I totally, I'm like, hey, what's the what's going on? I do oh, it all yeah. the time. No, I'm I, a psychopath I think it's, at work. I think it's normal to to have that, especially with a, a big promotion like that. Like, you know, like th- I think it's normal to have that level of anxiety about it. I did think it's funny that like she's had to she had to drop the veneer of last episode where she's like, you know what, I'm not worried about it. I'm not I'm not gonna think yeah. about it. Like I'm it is what it is. What will be will be. Like she's had to drop that completely now and just be like back to complete and total anal retentive carry and just be like is it me is it am i the one did i get picked Ugh. like she's just like a little chihuahua like vibrating like did, you gonna pick me whereas her energy by the end of this episode is see whereas i'm usually the person who finds out that they've been passed over for a job or promotion that they want after <laughs> they, they never even get a shot at it they so. just they never bother i'm not cynical about retail I'm, I'm not cynical or retail about, uh, no. about retail at all it's no fine. capitalism isn't a sham Totally. Lizzie, I have good news for you. We will never pass you over for a promotion at STT. Well, you know, the show was fucking my idea. So exactly. Yeah, you've already you made it. Of STT, you've already made it to the top of the mountain. But Daniel does most of the work. You're CEO. He's COO. I'm CFO. Have we have we ever determined this before? I don't know that we're no no. I'm deciding it now. He is the CEO, chief editing officer. (laughs) Ha. Oh boy! All right. I'm the CFO since I handle Patreon. That's fair. And you're you just bring Moxie. I want to. I want to. I want to. She wants an acronym. <laughs> she wants an acronym. C- you're C- the CMO, head. Chief Moxie, Officer. Yeah, Chief Moxie Officer. <laughs> CNO, uh, Chief Notes, Chief Notes Officer. At that point, we just call me the uh, administrative assistant <laughs> and get over it. I was trying to be nice. I know. You could be CMO. Right, you, well, you could be Chief Morale Officer. You can be in charge of morale. There we there go. go. Chief there Mom Officer. There it is. <laughs> the, the M stands for a lot of things. All right. Acronym related wordplay aside, uh, we go from there. We see Lucy practicing her IVs, and uh, Carter Greenlighter says that they're going to go practice on uh, Mr. Chatteroski, the drunk guy. And he tells her not to worry. He says, we'll take it one step at a time. Like, again, this is really good Carter being a teacher here. He can actually do it when he wants to. Uh, but turns out that Mr. Chedorowski has already run off. So, womp womp. Better luck next time. But she does ask if anyone else needs one. Uh, good good on you for trying there, Lucy. I appreciate the Eager enthusiasm. to learn. She's eager to learn. That's right. Uh, we then go back and see Lizzie still drilling Benton for who he wanted to be. Uh, and we see Reese and Carla show up. Reese in the most adorable mm-hmm. little Bumblebee costume. Can we talk about Bumblebee baby Reese? I'm here for it. So fresh. I also, I'm, I'm sounding like Jake there. A little bit. It was weird. 
I'm also kind of here for uh, Carla's like subtle, understated little hippie costume too that she's wearing. Like it's not over the top, but I'm here for it. I enjoyed it. Um, and we also get a verbal mention of Walt here, somebody who has been uh, obviously not never to be seen again, but we're still going to get little side mentions of him here and there. So Walt lives. He lives on in our hearts. That's right. He lives on in our minds. He has transcended. He has transcended his mortal flesh, though. <laughs> he just is. Yikes! Uh, but Coco is coming coming back to a little more to reality here. She's starting to speak a little more lucidly uh, because they gave her Heldo, which hmm. is our calming drug of choice in this ER of ours. Um, and oh, she's still talking about the baby. Never mind. So we think maybe she's still a little thing. And it turns out. They didn't do a pregnancy test on all that urine, so she starts talking about her baby because she's in the first trimester, so, and she went off her, she's schizophrenic and she went off her meds so that the baby would be okay, but Haldol, lots of bad news bears. Most schizophrenic medications. Yeah, lots of bad news bears, uh side effects on fetuses yeah yeah including limb malformation mm. the specific one we touch on here Oof. fun times you just see everybody's faces falling as you get further and further in this scene as they all realize how bad everybody fucked up very yeah. well acted it is very well done and i would like to i would like to hear from our medical list uh listeners audience members and tell me to what degree of like malpractice has mark <laughs> achieved here because like i don't know to me this seemed obviously we're, we're beginning a mini arc here developments to come none of us really remembers exactly where this little mini arc goes with coco but it does sort of seem to me like based on what we get not only in this scene but in the uh scene coming up in a minute it does seem like they sort of brush this under the rug very quickly like they sort of like mark feels bad about it but at the same time he's sort of like yeah, it's whatever, you know, water under the bridge kind of thing. Like, it's, I would love to know, like, because it would be so simple. You know, they, like you said, they had two liters of pee to work with. They could have easily done a pregnancy test. It would have taken five minutes. Why didn't they? I think, I think shit like this is exactly why they have it like a mandatory urine test before they do anything. If yeah. you're a woman in the hospital and you have to sign a waiver specifically saying you have not taken one before they give you any medications pretty much in my experience yeah if you don't take a pregnancy test it just seems so simple you know it takes two minutes haven't they haven't they even tried to give you pregnancy tests before oh, i've given i've been given several pregnancy tests That's... before i just let them do it yeah i just think it's funny it's not gonna hurt anything like, sure yeah exactly easier for you anyway your tax dollars at work warren thanks <laughs> I'm glad to know you're not knocked up, sweetie. Awesome. I see. That's I would say. That's half the reason I let him do it because because if it comes back positive, something's very wrong. That's right. We we need to see a different doctor if that's the case. Exactly. Isn't that like a sign of uh, testicular cancer or something? Yep. If it if a male pregnancy sure test comes, sure yep. is. Well, okay. Sorry. If a testicle having person's pregnancy test comes yes. back positive, yes. So that's why I just let it. If they if they want to do it, just. Whatever, let him do it. They can be like, you're pregnant. And you're like, uh, no, I'm not, but we need to go see a different doctor. Like, uh, <laughs> there's a there's a, there's a a problem here. 
oh golly enough about lizzie being knocked up let's go on to the big trauma comes in and this person is losing a ton of blood and benton has to do a thoracotomy this comes out of nowhere like one minute we're talking to mark and coco and then the next minute we're in this trauma it's not even like we get a big paramedic sweep from what i recall it's just bam you're in this trauma yeah but there's still plenty of room for whose films are those <laughs> And I, I'm just loving it, gang. I, I, I have the stickers right next to me, and I'm full of power. I gotta start me all in And rage. And it's, I'm power hungry now. The more stickers go out, the more my power grows. But yeah, so this is really, this becomes a plot point because his right chest is filling with blood. And um, Carrie insists that they do the rapid infuser as Benton has to manually crack the guy's chest open <laughs> with like a chisel. And um, pliers instead of using the stir- the saw, which we'll come back to. It, yes, we will come back to that several times. And also, ah, that foley work. Ugh, crunchy, crunchy foley. So crunchy. Uh, yeah, I w- so- I would like to give credit to a listener who pointed out to me uh, a little bit of. But we've been given so much credit to the Doug exit storyline for its ex- exceptional use of foreshadowing going back to middle mm-hmm. of last season. Um, I would like to point out a, a slight bit of foreshadowing. It's not really foreshadowing. It's it's probably a coincidence because, again, I don't think they're thinking about any of this right now. Uh, but this is one of the first times that the sternal saw thing really comes into the focus and becomes a big thing that we really um, focus on in traumas. Oh, yeah. Uh, and one this of a, the, this is a huge thing. Yeah. One of the last times that we will see it in trauma is a certain mid-season six episode uh, that is notorious and its reputation precedes itself. Uh, so one of the, That's la- the last time we see it in the show, one of the last times that it's a f- main focus thing of like, we have a sternal saw in the ER. Like that's one okay. of the last times okay. that it's like really harped on that. Like we have this thing here. Uh, it'll be I was like, in, the, I, in I, that I was, episode like, I sworn they've cracked several more chests using a sternal saw. Lauren has given me a very concerned look. You know what episode we're talking about. It's the episode, mid-season six. Yeah. No, I'm. It's, it's not about that. I guessed what episode you guys were talking about just by saying the episode for six. What I'm what I'm making the face at is I don't remember the sternal saw being a plot point, but what do I ever remember about ER? Why am I on this show? Let's go. Again, Chief Moxie Officer. We're, it's moving on. <laughs> um, but then Mark comes back in to talk to Coco and make us all more sad. She is, in fact, pregnant. They ran the pregnancy test after the fact. I don't know how they had any more pee left. Um, they did take a lot out of her. That's fair. I don't know if they just dumped it all or not, but she hadn't even told her mom yet because her mom had, was so proud that she had been stably taking her meds and was successfully in a halfway house safely, um, and just getting her life together. And, um, she starts to kind of, this starts to dawn on her and she realizes it may not be safe for her to have a baby with the schizophrenia because either she carries it to term without meds and risks, you know having to have somebody keep her accountable during that with everything else, or she takes her medication and risks something happening to the baby. So just this, this actress is doing this so well, Mm -hmm. like these just, Oh, so good. Um, makes rips your heart out, but she's doing it real well. And then, Carol asks Mark out in the hallway if Coco is going to abort, and it's essentially like, oh, you know, kind of takes takes the weight off my chest if she does. Like, I'm out of the wood. 
you know, I won't get charged. Mark still feels terrible about it, but he does make that comment. Yeah. Unless I'm misremembering. No, you, that. you know, it, they absolutely do make that comment, which is again, like I was saying, I, I still feel like this is a bigger deal than they're making it out to be. Like they do sort of brush this aside very quickly. But again, further developments to come. We got two more episodes with Coco, so who knows? Yep. And then we find out uh, Mark and Jen have to have one of their talks, so he can't go hang out with Carol after work. And Carter tells Lucy she can go and get ready for the Halloween party that they're having at the dorm since they're pretty much done with everything that she would have worked on in the ER. And our drunk guy is back after having chugged even more liquor. Uh, Mark tells Carter to head out because Carter jumps on it because it's like, oh, hey, it's Mr. Shatterowski. Um, And Mr. Shatterowski is talking about wanting to get clean again and Mark's going to get him a detox bed. Attempt two of the night. Boy, howdy. Mm. Poor Mr. Chatterowski. I feel so bad for him. He's he's struggling. I know. So then we go from there. We see our next uh, little precocious child patient this episode. Little girl Amanda screaming and wriggling around as Carrie tries to draw some blood. And of course, who should happen to walk in and see it happen but White Knight Doug Ross, uh, who just can't bear the sight of a small child in pain. And so he talks about his... Fa- I didn't even like make note of what the the method was called but it's some like fancy schmancy bullshit method where he doesn't actually, actually doesn't actually have to draw the blood so we can avoid uh, no no i think what he was saying was for the numbing agent oh maybe that's what it was specific, like, oh that's right because the Cause numbing yeah, I, was, yeah 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 you're right you're right because i thought so too at first but then i the, the more i heard of it i was like oh no they're talking about before so she won't feel it yeah so this is really all we see with this patient and it actually ends up being kind of a, a nice, uh, it doesn't happen here, but we do end up getting a nice Doug and Carrie moment out of it. So I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we go from there, we get our next patient, a, uh, 11 year old girl from a, an MVA Barbie, Barbie Kligman, uh, Benton <clears throat> Ben asks if Dale is okay with Lizzie being down in the ER to observe since he's been so territorial about where, where and what Lizzie is doing. Uh, young Barbie here has a big old bruise from the seatbelt and they worry that she may have a small bowel injury. Uh, Barbie herself is not much of an, a recognizable actress. I looked and this was like, she was a child actress. This was like one of a handful of credits she did. And I think this was one of her last ones too, before she stopped acting. So, uh, but the parents here, uh, Mr. Kligman is played by actor Angelo Tiff, who appeared in stuff like NCIS and the soap opera days of our lives where he had a recurring role. Uh, and Mrs. Kligman is played by actress Shannon Cochran, who appeared in The Ring, Star Trek's Nemesis, and Deep Space Nine. Uh, then we go back to Doug and Carrie, and Doug is talking Carrie how to apply a specific numbing agent to the skin so they can draw blood that's different from, like, the creams they would use that can take up to an hour or two to work. That's what they always used on me whenever they needed to put IVs on me when I was a kid. Yeah. Because I was so scared of needles. And, and now, look at you now. And now I have tattoos. And I just had uh, multiple needles <laughs> poked around in me <laughs> a couple days ago. And you do your own shots once a week. I do. That reminds me, I need to, I need to do that. <laughs> I'm shocked. Um, and then Dr. Litvak is asking if he can observe Carrie and Doug until his flight. And Carter heads to the dorm. Lucy is the only one dressed up in her cute little 50s uh, roller diner outfit. Very, very adorable. I love her dearly. She's bummed because the flyer said eight and no one is there yet. And Carter asks Lucy to chaperone the party so he can go prep that presentation Carrie asked him about. 
Hey, it's a Halloween party. No one ever shows up right away at when it starts. That's right. Right. I, I never show up on time to my friends' parties. I don't know what we're talking <laughs> about. I'm not there five minutes early to Nick's house. Yeah, same. I love you. But are you actually early or... Because I'm actually early to places. I'm usually, like, right on time. For... You, you've gone with me to my friend's house. You know, know. how much I, like, hate... Yeah. It's... I know. My friends are chronically late. I'm chronically early. I don't know how we're still friends. Trust me, my friends are chronically late, too. Especially one of them. I know. Yeah. He doesn't listen to this podcast. It's fine. I, definitely I can thought, subfood them all. Anymore. I definitely thought it was somebody else, so I was wrong. But now I know who you're talking about. Uh, anyway. Uh, enough enough shit talking our friends who don't listen so to the show. So let's, uh, let's, let's get to some... Uh, let's get to some weirdness. Uh, Benton, Romano, and Dale are all working on Barbie. And Romano makes a gross joke about Benton and Corday going to a motel. And, hmm. They see, while they're rooting around in Barbie's midsection, they see two masses in the lower part of it. Some Potentially some abnormal lymph nodes. Hmm. So they're going to do a biopsy. Hmm. Figure out what the hell they're dealing with. Whatever it is, I'm sure it'll be dealt with the utmost delicacy of mid-90s network television. Totally tactfully, it's fine. Definitely will be held, uh, definitely will be dealt with with the most the utmost uh, nuance and not at all played for goofy laughs. Hmm. Hmm. So we go from there, we see Jeannie asking if she can help Doug so he doesn't have to do it all by himself. Uh, says that he He says to send the overflow through the ER, but that he still wants all the charts. So he is still very much on his PEDS ER uh, power trip. We'll see how that works out for him. We then see uh, Rachel in the uh, lounge uh, watching trash TV. I believe it's Jerry Springer uh, dressed as Scary Spice. Nice topical 1998 costume there right on the cusp of the pop culture pulse there, uh, Rachel. And uh, she lets slip. Mom says when we move to St. Louis, uh, uh, uh-oh. What? Rutro, bet this had something to do with the big talk Mark and Jen were supposed to have. And poor, poor Rachel is immediately doing that divorced child thing where she's trying to like act as the mediator between her parents. Mm. Like once she realizes she fucked up, she immediately goes, but it's really nice and this and this and this. And like, it shouldn't be her responsibility to sell this move to her dad. Yeah. I have a question for the class Hmm. or maybe Daniel, if he's looked into it a little bit. Sure. Do after, after this, the St. Louis move, do we lose Rachel one? Um, no, we, so, (laughs) so there's actually, uh, quite a famous thing that will happen, um, somewhere in, I forget if it's seven or eight, whenever the ecstasy storyline ish thing happens. That's of course, that's of course kind of famously the first big thing that Rachel two gets to do is the ecstasy thing. Um, but there is a brief moment, uh, in between seasons. So I guess it could be between six and seven or seven and eight, wherever that comes in where, Rachel one and Mark have this very touching father daughter scene uh, where she's wearing a stupid blossom hat. And then by the time the next season rolls around, they have recast Rachel to Rachel two and they reshoot the scene from the, the se- the season prior and insert Rachel two with the same stupid hat in place of Rachel one. So we have at least a I've few more. We'll have at least a few more appearances. I believe Rachel one sticks around through at least 2000 or 2001. 
So yeah, okay. Jake hasn't mentioned meeting Rachel too yet. So yeah, so it'll it'll be at least another season or two before we get to her. Okay, because I know her appearances are numbered. Yeah, yeah there we are sure. definitely getting to the nitty gritty with with Rachel because uh, she's like you said going to go to St. Louis and we won't see her nearly as often as we've even been le- seeing less of since Mark and Jen split up. So. And uh, we'll go back up to the OR floor to our favorite storyline ever on the show. Uh, Corday brings mm. the results from the biopsy, which she takes. She's like, "What do you all think it is? And cancer, lymphoma, lymph nodes, yada yada yada." Uh, turn Corday says, "You biopsied two testicles, and it seems that Barbie is a boy." So many things wrong with that, but I'm gonna wait until Dale makes an ass of himself later. Would this would this technically be intersex? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah that's, that's the proper terminology we'll, right now. We'll, we'll okay. go. We'll, we'll get I'll it, talk but... more about it after Dale's a shithead. Thank you, gender expert. Um, from there, we go into Carter and Bernard, the med student, are walking back to the party with all of Carter's books for his research, and the party is now definitely up and running, and they just threw a flaming chair off the balcony down right in front of Carter and Bernard. Um, they're playing some beautiful Rob Zombie in the background. It is now a real party. There is weed, alcohol, and Lucy is wasted. Kids are pissing off the balcony to try and put out the fire, and Carter... Turns off the radio, kicks everyone out with the classic, you you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here, <laughs> line. Hands somebody a fire extinguisher and goes and shuts himself in his room. I'm sure there, there was like a perspective issue there that, that made it look worse than it really was, but it does seem like Carter gets awfully close to that flaming couch when he tries to sidle past it to get up to the, uh, the dorm. Like, I was watching it and I was like, hey, good fine. lord, he gets really close to that. He's fine. He's fine. He'll just burn off some of that beard hair. That's right. There you go. Oh, the beard. We, we got. We we have less than one episode left with the beard. The beard will be leaving us next episode. Uh, so we go from there. We see uh, Mark tells Carol about Jen and Rachel's big move, uh, and we get a real slick edit here that I would love to point out because it was a total like I was so proud of myself for catching it. They're doing kind of a walk and talk through the hallway and they go through a doorway. And as they go through the doorway, they kind of sidle past a security guard and the security guard uh, blocks out the frame. And right as uh, I believe it's Carol, right as Carol finishes her sentence, the security guard fully blocks off the frame. And then we get like kind of a little bit of a jagged cut where you can just tell that they switched sets so it's like it's this very slick cut where it almost looks like a wipe transition where they but they instead of using an effect to make the wipe they used a security guard and i think it's a really neat neat little way that they did that and i just thought it was really slick and a really really cool thing to to notice so uh turns out they they found a bed for mr chatterowski but of course he's gone again oh for two but lizzie uh let's get some resolution on this whole uh Barbie has testicles storyline. <laughs> when we explored the retroperitoneum, we discovered two small masses. Masses? What kind of masses? Well, we were concerned too, so we sent down a frozen section of the biopsy that revealed testicular tissue. What does that mean? Barbie has a condition called testicular feminization. Genetically, she's a male with XY chromosomes, but during development, 
The fetal tissue was resistant to testosterone, and the external genitalia developed as female. There's, there's got to be a mistake. No mistake. The vagina is nothing but a blind pouch. No uterus or ovaries. She'll need to be on estrogen replacement therapy. My little girl has testicles. Actually, we had to remove them because of the high incidence of malignant transformation. I, I don't understand. I, I changed her diapers. I know every inch of her. She's a boy? The genetics don't matter. You raised her as a girl. Barbie is a girl. It's what she looks like. It's her identity. Nothing will change that. But you have to understand that she'll never menstruate or bear children. Obviously, this has come as a shock. You'll need time to adjust. Barbie's recovering. We'll refer you to a genetic counselor. They'll help you decide when and how to tell her. Thank you, Doctor. Nice job. Thank you. Of course, you forgot to mention they'll have to change Barbie's name to Ken. I am going to murder Dale in the face. We were so close. Ah. Okay, Lizzie, tell us everything why that was wrong, aside from the obvious one. I mean, he's, okay, so he's totally not wrong. He's, like, A, gender's a, gender's a lie, and <laughs> you could just do whatever the fuck you want. You can just be whoever the fuck you want. It doesn't fucking matter. Um, have no gender at all. Be a gender. Have be be neither gender. There's our next sticker. Be idea. a man. Be a woman. Gender's whatever. A lie. Yeah, yeah. No, gender's that's that's what we lie. need. We need Lizzie. Just gender's a fucking lie. Gender's a fucking lie. Gender clothing is a fucking lie. Do whatever the fuck you want. No one fucking cares. And if they care, you should ask them why the fuck do they care about your oh, care so much about your genitals? Anyway, men's clothing is so comfortable. It's true. It is. Um, it's. He's not wrong. I, I, I take issue with his phrasing. I take issue with his phrasing that XY equals boy. Because typically it does. Typically it is. A, those are the male chromosomes. Mm -hmm. But like in Barbie's case, you can totally have XY chromosomes and be a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Because in all likelihood, no one would ever fucking know what chromosomes you have. Right, unless you got genetic testing. Yeah, and typically there is a condition some, like like this involved with that. But but there's plenty. I'm sure there's plenty of women walking out there with XY chromosomes. I'm sure have never had anything wrong or tested or yeah yeah. I'm I'm curious about the medical efficacy of the term testicular feminization. Like I'm that seems like a little too neat of a term for them to place on their I got I, I actually I just looked it up. Hold on one second. I'm going to let Lizzie do it because Lizzie's our gender expert. Yeah. Though the phrase I found the term like this the the syndrome name I found was Swire syndrome. Gotcha. Whereas where they have normal female external genitalia and female gender identity, typically. Or it's also known as XY gonadal dysgenesis. Neat. Yeah. Either way, he's. I take issue with his phrasing. The medical stuff behind it. Sound enough. Is sound enough. Gender expression is valid. Do whatever the fuck you want. Exactly. Exactly. And, From your favorite queers. And definitely don't make wisecracks about 
people's names when you exit yeah. consultations with their parents. Also, respect pronouns. Yeah. Do we have anything else that we want to put on this soapbox before we go on? Just fuck Dale. Yeah, yeah. fuck Dale. Don't actually fuck, though. Da- no. So don't actually fuck him, though. Fuck him up. Ah. Don't sleep with transphobes. Oh, I thought you said don't sleep with trans folks, and I was like, what? <laughs> transphobes. No, absolutely sleep with trans folks. We're awesome. We're great, Lays. Trust me. <laughs> oh, God. Can I go yet? No. I'm I'm done being the CMO. Let's go. <laughs> You're the CEO, Chief Embarrassed Officer. That's it. Um, but then Lucy and the students are now drinking quietly on the couch in the dorm lounge, complaining about their different residents. And that's, it's just a very cute, like, yeah, this, this was more on par with what late parties with my friends looked like (laughs) when stuff would wind down. Um, but Carrie is bitching to Romano about not having the sternal saw down in the ER and saying how, you know, she could have, you know, they could have cracked the chest so much faster and the guy would have bled out less if they had had the saw. And Romano's like, well, you should do a study on it. Great idea. Here's just the man to chair it for you. And he's like, Peter, you're going to work with Carrie on the new study regarding this issue to find out if this really will save more lives to have this piece of equipment down there. Because Peter's like, they they shouldn't they shouldn't have a saw. And Romano's like, yeah, she's going to give up on it. She's going to spin her wheels a little bit and then move on. It's not going to get past the committee. Brilliant, brilliant managerial uh, workaround by Romano there. And then I noticed a weird sign, not as good as the other ones that we've seen, but in all caps, it just says, show your power, break it, regarding <laughs> cigarette. Oh, I would love to have one of those signs. Like, one of one of the signs it's... from the ER, I would love love to have one of those in my collection. Yes. Um, and then Lizzie and Benton, it turns out that they have a date at 10 after work. And Benton says, you know, oh, I made us reservations at Dempson's. And Lizzie's like, oh, Dempson's isn't really Halloween-y. She wants to go do something more festive. Because she had been talking about, like, hayrides and stuff and, like, Halloween stuff in the Americas. And Benton, after she walks away, calls Walt and asks him for a mystery favor. Mm -hmm. Mm Hmm. He has transcendent mortality, so, you know, he can do anything. Uh, let's see if we can, let's, but let's see the hotbed of emotions that may arise when Jen, Mark, and Rachel are, are all at Doc Magoo's. See this one? That's the pool rider. Oh, right, the cute cowboy. Yeah. Rach, did I hear your order right? You hate rhubarb and walnuts. I like it now. Dad makes good pie. He always did. Jen, you trying to butter me up? No, I just remember your mom's famous rhubarb pie recipe. Sorry you have to work late with a cold. Are you holding up? Yeah, it's just my sinuses. Rachel, why don't you go wash your hands? Okay. St. Louis, huh? She told you. It slipped out. It's a great job, Mark. The schools are top rate. And it sounds good. good. I was ready for a fight. I think we've done enough fighting for a lifetime, don't you think? Yeah. In a perfect world. We could both spend 365 days a year with her. Well, we can't. St. Louis isn't very far. No. Not holidays and summers. Spending this time with her this summer has made me think about how 
We spent way too much time thinking about ourselves. You told me you guys got along really well. Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh... It was a lot of... It was a lot of fun. So, I definitely... A, I don't remember Mark being sick at all the rest of this episode, which makes me think this must have maybe been a reshoot yep. and Anthony Edwards was sick. B, um, when they start both talking about how they can't... How, you know, obviously they both want to spend all their time with Rachel. I definitely thought that Mark was going to say, and that's why I think she should stay here. Oh. I thought they were going to set it up for a custody battle round two for a second. Hmm. See, I like, I really like but the, the more conciliatory tone that they strike here. Yeah. Like, oh, I love it. And it's great. But I'm just saying with how they've been, yeah. I was just waiting for one of them to snipe and like have a misunderstanding there. But no, they're actually adults talking about their daughter and doing what's best for their daughter, which is consistency. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I have no, I have no qualms about this interaction. No, yeah, it, it, you know, but you know what it reminds me of almost eerily. Which again, this is another thing that was pointed out to me by a listener that once it was pointed out to me made perfect sense. Uh, it really reminds me of uh, a future conversation that Jen and Mark will have also in Doc Magoo's, uh, in what three seasons from now? Like the spoilers, scr- scrub ahead if you have, <laughs> but the the last conversation that jen and mark will have you know before oh yeah you know like that that's this is very reminiscent of that like very very much the same kind of conciliatory like they're he's not looking to score points he's not looking to get one up on her or or vice versa like they're neither one of them it seems like they're really in this for anything other than rachel's best interest and it's nice to kind of see that for a change like they've they've spent so much time at each other's throats since the beginning of the show pretty much that it's nice to see them finally kind of be adults for a change. Now I'm sad. I know. I'm sorry. I had to bring the mood down because we have to go back and check on Barbie because. Okay. This is a really sweet It is a very sweet. It's a nice, it, it, it's a nice way to kind of bring the nose up on this otherwise kind of clumsy storyline here. But uh, Lizzie is checking in on Barbie who of course is sad that she's going to miss out on trick or treating this year. Uh, she and her mom handmade her costume together uh, and it's a very cute moment when Lizzie goes to put her tiara back on her. It's yeah. Yeah. Princess Barbie. Fuck you, Dale. You look just like Bar- a little fairy princess. Yeah. Fuck you, Dale. Barbie's still a girl. And let's go back over once again, back to the dorms. Uh, Lucy and the boys are playing quarters, uh, playing. I think, uh, is it Lucy who hits one? Mm-hmm. Who hits one in? Yep. I could, did you, uh, did you ever play quarters? I never played quarters. No. Not, they played Flippy Cup. Not well. They played, I suck at Flippy Cup. I'm pretty decent at it. Um, I just remember a Circle... Uh, oh my god. Circle of it? Death. Circle of Death was my favorite. Ride the Bus is terrible. Yes. Anyway, we're moving on. Um, everyone go play beer pong. It's super fun. I used to be fun. <laughs> but uh, they're going to prank a friend a friend of theirs who's passed out and they spray shaving cream all over him. <laughs> Um, they try to tickle or trick tickle him to slap the cream up for him to slap his face. You know how that goes, uh, but he doesn't respond. And, uh, uh, even if he's drunk, he should be doing that. So Lucy's like, call nine one one, go get and get Carter. And uh, he doesn't seem to wake up before the commercial break. So we lose not just 
So we lose Bernard here? Yeah, this is the last time we see Bernard standing off in the background looking like a putz, just standing there holding his dick, not actually doing anything to help. Uh, maybe he drops out of med school because he's so traumatized. Maybe so, event. yeah. Or maybe he gets kicked out. Who knows? Maybe he, maybe it turns out he's the one yeah. that provided the ecstasy. Who knows? Even more ER headcanon. Bum, bum. Even, and then after the commercial, Carter is running up to Willie as they wait for the ambulance. Uh, gross. Willie pukes in his mouth as he's trying to do CPR. Carter rolls him on his side to help prevent aspiration for um, potential pneumonia from that and Carter just keeps trying to take care of him, and it turns out, like they mentioned, Willie took some liquid ecstasy, and so did one other person at the party that they need to go find and check on. Yikes. That mixed with drinking really can't be a good idea. No. no. I think we're seeing the results of that. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and then we uh, see another uh, nice welcome surprise here. Officer Al. Al Grabarski. Yeah! pops up once again i was happy to see Please say that name one more time i was happy to see not his last appearance we still have at least one more yes. appearance of uh officer al please please say his last name again grabarski grabarski al- it makes me so happy al grabarski uh it just makes me want to say don't you know I, I, yep. don't you know <laughs> so uh mark sends al off to go get the drunk from earlier so we will check back in with Al Grabarski just a little bit later. Grabarski. Uh, <laughs> we then go back to the dorm where Carter has found the missing friend, Branch, on the floor of the shower, looking like he took one hell of a fall. Like he. Yeah, it does not look It does great. not look great. He f- looks like he fell through the door and, like, kind of sprawled in the doorway and is, like, just kind of. Yeah. It's, it's a bad look for Branch. He's got no pulse. Uh, Carter works on tubing him while Lucy is doing CPR. Lucy doing the uh, sweet baby Lucy, all that, you know, token stuff out of the way. Lucy doing the world's most limp dick chest compressions I've ever seen in my life. Those are the worst chest compressions maybe on the show to date. Um, But then Carter rightfully pushes her out of the way and is like, go find the paramedics. And he actually starts doing some rather effective chest compressions by comparison. So good on you, Carter. And, uh, Go back up to the OR. Dale is ordering tests for his patients with Corday, and Benton tells Dale to sign out the scut to the on-call team since he's not even on the clock anymore. You tell him, Benton. Um, remember, friends, Dale pretty much basically gets off on torturing Corday um, and being a transphobe. Um, but Corday needs to go change back into her costume, and Benton will meet her down front for yay, for just good times. Uh, then Al comes back, says he found the drunk guy and brought him back, but it turns out that it is not the gentleman they were looking for. It is Lloyd, (laughs) who someone says looks remarkably like, and we turn and we see Jerry, and we find out he's Jerry's cousin. They grabbed the wrong guy, and Jerry provided Lloyd with all this medical equipment, hence the eagle has landed earlier, so he could go win a costume contest. (laughs) Such a Jerry move. It's so good. Ugh. He's like, I got honorable mention. Very cute. But then we hear Jeannie is heading out for the day. and So she says goodbye to Doug. And Carrie comes in where Doug is doing charts and compliments Doug on all his hard work today. And then she also brings in the overflow charts from, from Peds that she asks Doug to sign off on due to his new policy. And he's like, <laughs> you're having a lot of fun with this, aren't you? To which Carrie responds, "Happy Halloween, rookie!" and bails. So good. Yeah, this is this has maybe been the best like Doug and Carrie episode to date. 
I have really mm-hmm. enjoyed the two of them together in this episode. She has actually stopped trying to screw him over for five yeah. minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we then go back, we see Carter giving the update in the ER to the paramedics uh, and Connie regarding Willie and Branch. Uh, probably shouldn't be running this trauma as he's like heavily involved in just about every aspect of it. Uh, seems like might be. I don't know, though. I mean, it's not like he has much of a personal connection to either one of these kids and they let him run Chase's trauma, for Christ's sake. So I'm just well, and they shouldn't have done that. Yeah, either. No, that's true. Uh, but he sends Lucy out to go call the parents. So. Lucy's gonna bear some responsibility for this in Carter's eyes. Well, let's let's go to something much more pleasant. We go out front. Corday walks out front to see Ben dressed in full costume <laughs> in an amazing car, and they filled the back seat with hay so that Corday can have her hay ride through the city. And she doesn't know what he is, and then he puts on the shaft theme. And turns out he wanted to be shaft when he was a kid. Excuse you. He wanted to be shaft. <laughs> with her. He does a lot of soft With A's. her impeccably British accent, shaft. So good. Yeah. Um, we also get, I do want to point out before we, before we get lost here, uh, we do have uh, the mystery nephew who is driving the car mm-hmm. here. Peanut. Peanut. Never before mentioned never to be mentioned again <laughs> no one knows who peanut is peanut is or where he came from he is none of the the nephews that have been previously referred to by Ben. we we know that there's a lot of um you know conjecture about walt and jackie's kids there's kids that disappear yep. there's kids that change names change ages change faces but peanut has never been a part of the equation and will never be part of the equation after this episode i do think it's kind of funny that one of the recurring bits it seems in this show is that we can't keep straight a, how many nieces and nephews Benton has, and B, who plays them. It, it's kind of a consistent plot point at this point. That's that's how I'm feeling as I'm watching Murder, She Wrote, because a lot of the plot points involve her going to visit various uh, nieces and nephews. Mm. And, like, every show, that's how she's, like, at, because she's visiting them, and then something happens where she is. And I'm like, Jessica Fletcher, how many freaking <laughs> nieces and nephews do you have that we last, like, 15 i don't know how many seasons murder she wrote is it's like 12 i think but how do we have over 10 seasons of content with you visiting your nieces and nephews the premise has to change somewhere in there does she open a detective agency who knows but she doesn't i don't think but still like i feel you mystery mystery kids uh but then from there carrie is headed out and she goes to give jerry a bill for all the supplies he stole totaling $289, and she's going to have it deducted from his paycheck over the next 10 weeks. It runs right into the holiday buying season. No! <laughs> uh, but let's get our uh, next audio clip. Uh, Mark is going to give Carrie a little heads up on the results of the chief vote. Hey, Dr. Weaver. Off to enjoy All Hallows Eve? Actually, I am. I just wanted to give you this bill. $289? Yeah, you're lucky the wheelchair came back undamaged. It could have been a lot worse. Dr. Weaver, I don't have 300 bucks. Well, that's why I've arranged to have it taken out of your paycheck. $28.90 a week for the next 10 weeks. That'll run right into the holiday buying season. Carrie, you got a second? Yeah, what's going on? Uh, I wanted to give you a heads up on the committee vote. Well, that's not supposed to be announced until tomorrow morning. Well, they've tallied it already, and they voted for Litvak. They're going to have to widen the office door for his swollen head. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of an ass, isn't he? Well, if it means anything, 
I voted for you. Thanks, Mark. Which paycheck does this become effective? You know what? It doesn't. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. Give your cousin a wheelchair, give your maiden aunt a rapid infuser. I don't give a damn. <laughs> I'm sorry, I forgot I got the audio of that whole. So it, it's worth it. It's, it's worth it. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Also, I love the little devil horns. Oh, I love that so it's much. So good. It, it leaning I into love, the heel turn. I love it. I love when they drive her to have these moments of just like fuck it. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, I, I love so much about this. Like I love um, her and Mark's kind of interplay here because I like when her and Mark are on kind of a professional even ground with one another. I love that. I love, like you said, a good carry fuck it moment is hard to beat, and her putting on the the devil horns as she walks away is just perfect. Like leaning into the audience perception of her is just mm, chef mm-hmm. kiss. I just, I love it so much. And I'm struggling to think of like how we're going to get from here to Amanda Lee. Like, mm-hmm. because yeah, obviously remember. something's got to happen to this guy that they've just hired as chief who's not gonna be in chief the famous words of in the famous words of jake something's got to kill you <laughs> i bet maybe a better offer yeah maybe i don't know it's just maybe yeah strange we know it's not his background check hey Oy. spoilers Yikes. Uh, but then we go on from there to carol is telling doug that he's taking all of this too seriously and he needs to chill the fuck out and he's like inventorying supplies in uh, the PZR as they're talking. And he pretends to slice his finger open and starts spraying fake blood everywhere. And like runs over to Carol to like give her a kiss and like, I want to suck your blood. And just very cute moment between the two of them. Absolute peak couple moment. I love them so much. It ends up being a very cute moment, but it was not fun for me to watch. Let me tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that's fair. Uh, speaking of things that aren't fun to watch. Well, Lucy and Carter had a good run. Let's listen in. Hey, Dr. Carter. Lucy? How are they? They'll be fine. I don't know what happened. One second we were hanging out and the next... What happened was two of your classmates almost died tonight. I didn't know they were doing GHB. Well, you were in charge of the party. I broke it up when things got out of hand. You continued to party. Two guys rolled out of here on gurneys. Uh, did I miss anything? The part about me not being able to police everyone. And the part about you being the resident advisor and the one in charge. Well, you're right, Lucy. You know what? I'm in charge. It was stupid of me to think that you were mature enough to take responsibility. This is another one of those moments where knowing what we know about the behind the scenes tension, it's just like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, it's a little uncomfortable. Like, is Lucy really acting? Right. I know. It's a little uncomfortable to watch, you know. And it's also, it's, it makes it, not only the behind the scenes tension makes it more uncomfortable, but also knowing where Lucy and Carter as characters go for a bit mm-hmm. also yeah. makes it a little uncomfortable because you're like, oh, there's a real power dynamic imbalance here that really just, wow. We were talk. we, Lizzie and I were talking about that a couple nights ago. Or was that when you were here? Uh, maybe, I don't know. That whole weekend is a blur. <laughs> Fair. 
Uh, but yeah, I I definitely I kind of blocked that out, and then I was like, oh yeah, that does happen. Yeah, it does, and it's yeah. it's yeah. not great, and it apparently f- also fueled a little bit of the like behind the scenes tension too, because he wasn't happy with it. He didn't think that was something <gasps> that would be Carter. That that would Carter. Carter tries to date everything that moves. I know. Yeah, Carter's a shithead. Whatever. Both both Carter and Noel Wiley were experiencing a bit of cognitive dissonance at this point. Like they were both sort of living outside of their bodies and not really realizing what they were doing. So I get it. Uh, but we close out the episode on at least a happy note. Thank goodness, uh, with an excellent shot of Lizzie and Benton singing the Shaft theme while riding downtown. Excuse me, the Shaft theme. Uh, she says, I, uh, I never knew you didn't have rhythm, which is just, it's a very cute, very sweet way to end. Uh, what I think is a perfectly good episode. Yeah. I really enjoy this. I one. also, I also love that. She's like shaking her hands or whatever. He's like, what are you doing? And she's like, it's my tambourine. <laughs> like, it's, it's so good. They're so comfortable together. I love the two of them so much. I will go down with this ship. See, I'm not going to make fun of, uh, Corday for doing this. Cause I totally, air guitar when yeah. I'm feeling a song. Yeah. No, there's nothing or wrong do with do random shit when I'm by myself. Typically not in front of Lauren. Although sometimes in front of Lauren because oh. she doesn't judge me. In front of me a lot. You do it a lot. It's Hush. very cute. I love you. Hush you. But yeah, I agree. Shut your mouth. I agree. Very good episode. This one This one was... It hit all the right beats for what we needed it to. Yeah. It's... It, it, it's, <laughs> it wasn't... For me, it wasn't anything special. But like, it wasn't bad by any means that's yeah. it's a solid eight out, eight out of ten yeah i think gives us gives us good forward momentum yeah i think it's it's good by uh holiday special standards like i think Ooh. i think it's one of the better you know what i'm saying like i think it's one of the better of those type of episodes that like is usually kind of forgettable or kind of dispensable like we, I, kn- I know i've gone on record before about christmas episodes but halloween episodes kind of fall into this category as well of just like there, it, the whole joke or the whole premise is that it's Halloween, and that's all that really factors in. This um, is Halloween. Yes. Yeah. So you know, by that standard, I think it's pretty darn good. It's probably like a seven out of ten on a regular scale, and as a Halloween episode, it's probably an eight or a nine out of ten on yeah. on that yeah. adjusted scale. So casual I, transphobia aside, I have yeah. no major other major issues with it. That's not great, but and uh, it's. It's weird how the Halloween episode ends up being the like kind of good palate cleanser to the last two weird ones we've had where like things were, yeah, right? things were kind of weird for a couple of weeks and then it's like, "Oh, we're going to have the Halloween episode that's going to nice center us back to where we need to be to continue on." It's interesting how that works sometimes. Lauren, what do the listeners think about this one? Uh, quite a lot. Oh um, Jesus. Gen T starts us off with this will this will forever be my favorite Halloween episode. Benton and Corday are friggin' adorable. Robin I says, finally, Benton letting his guard down. Uh, Michelle K says, Carter, you were in charge. <laughs> Blaming the out-of-control party on Lucy was just so not cool. Take responsibility for your own job and responsibilities, you dink. I love the word dink. Uh, Corday and Benton are my favorite in this. Benton wanting to be Shaft and Corday having zero rhythm is beyond adorable. My only question is, who is Peanut? This is Benton's nephew, and we know that Benton and Jackie have no other siblings. Never mentioned when Mama Benton was sick and dying. And Jackie canonically has three children, though they only focus on her daughter and Jesse. So is Peanut the older boy Steven? Is this his nickname that they just decided to add with no other reference after ignoring his existence in seasons one or two? I love you, Michelle, and please make another Benton 
Anderson uh, family tree for like the same way you did the ant spot. Like let's, let's dig into this. Let's get weird. Like, I love it. Also, I love the clap emojis. Thank you for making me do those on mic. I'm sure Daniel's going to love it when he edits. Um, Bliss S says this version of Benton is my favorite Benton. I wish we could have gotten to see this guy more often. They also have great chemistry. I'm with Lauren. I'm Ben Day all the way. I have to say, I appreciate how far Mark has come with the Rachel Jen situation. He knows that fighting her is not going to help his daughter. I like that he didn't overreact, even though we all know Jen is the worst. Do we, do we all know that? I mean, that's what we, that's what they want us to know. Jen is written to be the worst. Yes, I will give that. Uh, Zoe M says, Shaft. (laughs) Franner W says, This is the Peter we need to see. Also, quote, A lot of things have been said over the years about this set of gams, but scary isn't one of them. Shout out to Lydia. What a good line. That was so good. Yeah, Lydia. mm, Again, that made outfit. Just adorable, precious baby Lydia. Carly M says, one of my only favorite Halloween episodes. I wasn't a fan of Benton with Corday, but loved this episode of them together. Good, Carly, because we were about to have some words. <laughs> and then Twitter fam, at Baker Basic on Twitter says, literally the only thing I remember about this episode is Elizabeth's costume and her idea of American Halloween, which is adorable. Dressing up, trick-or-treating, and a hayride under the stars with your sweetheart. I love how the whole time she's trying to guess what Benton wanted to be as a kid, and the fact that he got a family member, I think his nephew, and some hate, and some get to make hay for her, while he was dressed as Shaft in the little sing-along they had in the car was adorable, especially when Elizabeth started to play the air tambourine. I love it so. To which um, Sarah Bramlett, SMB for the win replied as a woman with curly hair I cringed at how much product they had to put in Alex Kingston's hair to get it to do that also someone should keep tally of how many Romano Benton conversations revolve around work versus Lizzie from now on season six spoilers I'm looking at you oh yeah could like could could Benton and Romano pass the reverse Bechtel test where they're not talking about Lizzie (laughs) (laughs) Where it's two men having a conversation, not about a woman. Yeah, that's a good point. Could they? Thank you, listeners. My gosh, you guys gave me, you, my work was cut out for me tonight. I appreciate you all. I have so much fun doing these because I, unlike Daniel, I don't look at them before the show. They are a blind read for me and I am, I am always here for it. I try my hardest not to spoil myself before we read them on air, on mic. Not on air. We're not on air. We're on mic. Lizzie, wrap us out. Well, that is Buck and Wrap Up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. This show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash Podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. And for only $5 a month, you can get a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry. What a little thief. Uh, two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. And over 20 hours of bonus audio and video content, including the full season recap episodes. A bonus show called The Lounge, where we talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and the world in that moment. Movie reviews, where we talk about a movie featuring an ER cast member, and flash forwards, where we do a commentary track for future ER episodes. We would also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at Set the Tone ER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com/slash Setting the Tone Podcast, and we are at Setting the Tone Podcast on Instagram. Also, be sure to check out the official Setting the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u. That is y-o-u.el. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Lauren, where can folks find you at? 
folks can find me spouting out all sorts of nonsense on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345. You can also find me on Twitter. I'm at randomgamer. That's J-M-3-R. As well as on the Popular Quartz YouTube channel, doing a co-op Let's Play of It Takes Two with Jake Terrell. Um, you can find new episodes of that every Wednesday, and you can find those videos and much, much more at youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. Thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time, and have a great week. Bye.